0: Good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to John chapter 14. We're excited that you're here this morning. Grateful for those that are over at the Student Center uh, worshiping with us at the same time over there. And just glad you're here. If you're visiting Christ Church, my name is Mark, and I'm one of the ministers here. Uh, As Isaac said a little bit earlier, we're in this lengthy series, Listening to the Words of Jesus. If you're taking notes in your bulletin, I'd like you to circle the icon for identity so that you'll be reminded in the future when you look back over your notes in your own personal study uh, what we're being directed toward as we look at identity. Uh, how many of us struggle with becoming who we want to be identified as? Uh, I found it interesting. I was listening to College Heights Christian Church. Randy Garris is a, a phenomenal preacher, and I was listening to his sermon from last week, and he said something very funny to me. He told his church, don't make me lie at your funeral. I got a kick out of that because it made me think, as funny as that was, it also made me think his greater point is something I wonder, what will my boys say was very important to their dad? I can can anticipate a few things, but will it be the most important things? Outside of Notre Dame football and Cubs baseball, what will they look and say were really important things to my dad, things that he would risk his life on, things that mattered to him over and above all the temporary things? We are Thursday night still in the life of Jesus. We're in the upper room. They had entered this upper room uh, for the Passover meal, and Jesus had washed the disciples' feet. During the Passover meal, he instituted what we call the Lord's Supper or communion. And then Jesus says, I'm going, I'm going to a place, and you can't come with me now, but you will come with me later. But he says, I'm doing this to bring my Father glory, and I want you to bring him glory too. It's where we've been the past few weeks on this Thursday night. See, this is in his final words. I want you to remember that in John's chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. In those chapters, Jesus is identifying himself one more time to the disciples, and he's asking them to find their identity and their purpose in him. Identity's difficult. Uh, I, I get a kick out of how God gives me tough situations, and not like tough like life and death situations tough, but tough situations, and yesterday we played a little third grade football game, and I'm helping uh, the coaches coach, and, and there are moments where my identity gets in the way of my effectiveness. Shake your head if that makes any sense to you at all. Here's what it looked like for me yesterday. My son Braden is playing on the team, and I'm the toughest coach on him the entire time. I'm the one who can say, quit crying, but when another coach coaches Braden hard, My identity as a dad overtakes my identity as a coach. Does that make sense? Now, I can tell them to sit down and be quiet or go away, and they don't even raise their eyes, but if one of them gets on him a little bit and he needs it, the dad in me overwhelms the coach in me and my identities are in conflict. That's what Randy was saying to the church at College Heights last week when he said, don't make me lie at your funeral. Pick who you want to be. Today we're going to see, in John chapter 14, that Jesus is getting some very elite statements about who he is. That's why I've entitled the message, He Holds an Exclusive Place. And it's not what we apply to him, it's what he expects from us. We're going to ask and answer four primary questions this morning from the text. The first question is this, who is he? And we're not going to answer that question, we're going to let him answer the question. Found in the first four verses. Let not your heart be troubled. Let's pause there for just a moment. You have to remember that John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 are one prolonged conversation with the disciples. This isn't two weeks later, a month later, a different day and time. Same room, same night. Jesus had just said, I'm going to leave you and you're not going to be able to find me for a season. But don't let your hearts be troubled. He's offering them hope, he's offering them a promise. If you believe in God, then you will believe in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. It's interesting here that Jesus presents this beautiful metaphor. It's the concept of home. He says, I'm going to my Father's home, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. It's God's home. I don't know if you had a good home, a bad home. You had many homes. Some of us had one homestead place that means something to us. Maybe our, our parents are still there. Maybe another family member owns that property now. You can, you can drive to it. A, a year or two ago, I went to my aunt's funeral in Brookfield, Missouri, and, and I intentionally went up that day to be with my mom and dad for my aunt's funeral, and afterwards, I just drove around to my grandmother's farm to the house that she had when she moved into the little town, and I just went by, and it just felt like what? Home. I love going to South Bend, Indiana where I was born and raised. My mom and dad still live in the house that we lived in since fifth grade. And I still love going in there because no matter that my boys don't know where the th- secret stash of things are hidden, and my wife doesn't, I do. Why? Because it's my, my home. I don't have to ask my mom and dad if I can get in the refrigerator. I know my mom's going to make iced tea for us every time we come home. I know my mom's going to make my, special, my favorite special meal, but it won't be my meal, it'll be my brother Scott's, but I don't tell her. <laughs> because she'll argue with me. No, you love beef stroganoff, like I forgot but it's home. I love going into my old bedroom. I love just remembering what it's like to be a 13 year old thinking I was gonna end up playing for the Chicago Cubs. I, I love home. Would you agree with me that the image that Jesus presents of going to prepare a place in his home where we get to go home to be with our father who's at home, isn't that gorgeous? And he wants us, when he says don't be troubled, I'm taking you home, that should be our joy and our goal is to get home as quickly as we can. But he says, if you believe in God, then you will believe in me. Do you notice that Jesus doesn't allow us to separate those two things? If I asked you right now, do you believe in God, most of you would shake your heads and go, of course I do. Then you will believe in Jesus. Why? Because he is saying something about himself here that's exclusive to every other person who's ever walked the earth. Thomas asks a question about this beautiful image. Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And verse 6, and I'm going to say something that could be controversial, but I believe it with every fiber of who I am. In fact, I'm betting my life on it. John chapter 14, verse 6 is the most controversial verse in the entire scriptures. It's what is separating right now Christians from Christians. Christians. People who profess belief in Jesus and those who are truly following Jesus are split on John fourteen six. It divides Christianity from all other world religions. We don't want to talk about it. It's close to being illegal to talk about it. It's considered hate speech if you mention it. But Jesus said it. I'll bet my life on it. How about you? This is what Jesus said in response to Thomas saying, we don't know the way you're leaving us, you tell us we have to stay here while you're gone, and we don't know how we're going to get to you. How do we get home? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, not a single person, not one exception, no pre-qualifiers." No exceptions to this at all. Not a single person. Absolutely no one comes home to the Father except through me. And the world says that's ridiculous. How dare Christians think they have the only way to get to heaven? How close-minded, how dogmatic, and how inappropriate. But how true. Why? Because I think it? Because I stand on a stage in a safe room in front of Christians who I know aren't going to argue with me because you're not sure how to? Is, does that make it true? No, Jesus didn't say, I want you to believe what I'm telling you. He's telling us the truth. I am what I'm telling you. And nobody, not a single one of us, has any hope of ever going home to be with our Father because of our sin. If Jesus Christ isn't our way. How do we know the way? Jesus said, I'm it. I am. Would love to take you to Exodus. When, when Moses stood in front of a burning bush and he was told to go to a small g God named Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh that he's not the real God and needed to get out of the way so the real God can be the real God. And Moses is like, well, what do I tell of that guy? And God said, tell him I am. And when Jesus says he is that God, he doesn't say it, and not prove it, amen? He proves it by the resurrection. But on this night, to this group of disciples, he says, I'm your way. So don't abandon me when I'm gone, I won't abandon you. Don't quit on me while I'm gone, because I won't quit on you. Don't judge God for not saving me that night, because by not saving me this night, he saved all of you. Jesus said, I'm your way, nobody. There's no forgiveness of sin, there's no eternal life, there's no presence of God, there's no kingdom of God, and there's no intimacy with God if it's not through Jesus. Try all you may to find God without Jesus Christ, and you will fail. And everyone who ever has, has failed. But only those who go through Jesus Christ and through his grace find any of those things. Truth is not based on whether or not we agree, whether we like it, whether it's our opinion. When one of the coaches, and I have to be careful because I believe both of them are here today, they don't get on Braden, but I can't help being his dad. So when they get on him and they tell him something, I pull him aside later, and I shouldn't do this because I'd be mad if you did that while I was coaching. But I look at him, I say, did you understand what they were saying? Yes, sir. No, no, don't give me the lie, tell me the truth because they're trying to make you better and I want you to be better. So can you understand this? This is the right way to do it. Yes, sir, yes, sir. Then go show me you understood by doing what? By doing it the right way. Hear what Jesus is saying to us? I have showed you the way. I have showed you the truth and I have showed you the life. Do what I've done because I'm the way home. That's who he is. If you wanna know the truth, you need to know Jesus. Not just what he said, you need to know him. You need to experience him. You need to spend time with him. You need to follow him. You need to let him become a part of who you are. But I wanna be really cautious at this moment because every church in America, every preacher pretty much will say what I just said. It's just no different except this. My call to us is not to be so concerned that we're right, but that we're righteous. Because we are not to hate people who don't believe the truth we believe in? What good is it to tell someone that they're evil for not believing the truth when our call from Christ is to show them the truth, not to judge them and walk away from them because they don't agree with us? Jesus never said, hate the ones who don't follow me. He said, love them anyway, and my love will change them, not your arguments. But are we loving them for the kingdom? Are we loving them through Jesus to identify who he is? In verse 7, he says, if you really knew me, and that's a presupposition, if you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. What Jesus just said here was, I'm God. Some people will argue with us and say, Jesus never said he was God. Christians have inferred that, and because of that, you're all confused. I think he just said it. You want to see the Father? He's right in front of you. I'm here. And then Philip asks a question. Have you ever been in one of those moments, like especially in college, when the professor answers the question and right after that a student raises their hand and asks the same question, you wanna look at him and go, dude, you just put that on the test. Pay attention. Because the question was just answered, you asked a question, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, that will be enough for us. Oops, someone's not listening. Jesus answered, listen to how Jesus begins. Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been with you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father, and how can you say, show us the Father? The only way I can relate this to my personal life is, have you ever had anybody that you love ask you if you love them? Do you know how that feels? It's like, wow, wow. I've not been able to show you what you need to know for me. Jesus says to Philip, Philip, you've known me a long time. You've seen me perform miracles. You've heard me teach. You've seen me do amazing things and love people and care for people. Philip, doesn't that look like you're God? But for many of us who have grown up in the church, we have to be really careful. Because we know a lot about Jesus. But do we know Jesus. We can tell you the Bible stories, we can put the flannel graph things up, we can run the VeggieTales films, we can do it all. But do we know him? Can we stand there at his tomb and speak of who he was and what he did and understand that there's not a division between the Old Testament God and the New Testament Jesus. They are the same person. I know we see the Old Testament God is all about smiting. All God did was smite people. No, he didn't. He loved. He showed mercy. Read the story of Jonah and tell me that God's first action was to kill. And then you say, but whole nations were wiped out. How do we not know that he didn't offer them the same mercy he offers you and me? When you want to see what the God of the Old Testament truly is like, look at the Jesus of the Gospels. That's what Jesus told Philip. He said, Philip, don't you know? Don't you see what I'm revealing? Because he just reversed his claims. In verse 1, he said, "If if you believe in God, you'll believe in me. And now he says, when you find me, you'll find God. He's teaching us a powerful truth. Verse 10 and 11, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own, rather it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. At least believe the evidence of the miracles themselves. Jesus gives us three things to consider about him, and I need every one of us this morning to ponder this week, to take a moment to turn off the noise of the world and ask yourself these questions. First, can you listen to his words? Because he says to Philip that morning, listen to what I've taught you. Is it true? Is it demonstrable? Have you lived out in obedience what I've asked you to do, and have you ever been harmed for following Christ? Listen to his words. Put them into practice. Second thing, he says, look at my works. Look at what he did for the poor. Look what he did for injustice. Look what he did for people that were struggling and hurting. He said, look at the life that I lived. Look at the cross and the sacrifice I paid for you. And thirdly, look at my miracles. Listen to my words. Look at how I lived and look at the miracles I performed. Were the miracles ever for his own personal satisfaction? Did he ever use his great power to bring attention to himself that it was not passed off to the father? The answer is no, of course not. Jesus always lived to bring God glory over and above his own because he wasn't worried about not getting glory. He knew that if he brought God glory, God would bring him glory. And you and I have that same promise. We talked about it last week. If we spend our lives to promote Jesus Christ and lift him up, we will find rewards in that that we don't deserve. You see, as you look at these things, he says, you will see that I look a lot like my dad. And my father's good. My father's loving. My father's holy. Second question we asked this morning, and don't panic, the next three are short. What does this mean to his disciples? He told us who he was. He told us where he came from, and he told us why he was here. And what did this mean to his disciples? In verse 12, he says, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will rather do what I have been doing. He will do greater things than these because I am going to the Father. This is a misused verse in my estimation. If you want to take John 14, 12, out of John 14, you can make this verse say that you will do greater miracles than Jesus did. In the context of John 14, Jesus is saying, you will do greater things in bringing God glory than I could. Not more miracles. Although if God calls you to that, knock it out. But we're not talking about whether God heals right now or not. What we're talking about is, why did Jesus do what he did was to bring God glory? And He said, you'll do greater things than this. I was just listing this week in my own personal devotions on this text. I just noted some of the things that Jesus did that he allows me to do. Jesus proclaimed God's will and so can I. Jesus taught God's ways and his desires and so can I. Jesus loved all people and gulp, so can I. Jesus fed the hungry, so can I. Jesus served the needs of people and so can I and so can you, amen? That Jesus is saying that the things that I'm doing He said, look at my words, my works, and my miracles, and see see if that doesn't reveal the Father, and then you can do amazing things. Why? Because he said, because I'm going to the Father. You see, the meaning must come from the context. Jesus is teaching us we can do greater things to bring God glory than Jesus was able to. And there's a part of me that goes, what do you mean? How, How is that possible? Remember who he's talking to. He's talking to the 11 disciples that night. In the upper room that Thursday. Now, I wanna ask you a question. This is gonna be a controversial question, but track with me. Would you agree with me that the disciples, those 11 men, had a greater impact on the world than Jesus did? On the world of their day, they did, didn't they? Because they went to all corners of the globe. They raised up within the church a group of prophets and apostles and teachers because Jesus went to be with the Father and sent the Holy Spirit. There were now 11 going in all the world. Jesus was limited by space and time. He could only be in one location at a time. The disciples could go into all parts of the world and raise up the church. Did they not do exactly what he said they could do? They had a greater impact on bringing glory to God than Jesus did in his three and a half years in the flesh. Now, please understand what I'm saying. Am I saying they were greater than Jesus? Absolutely not. Did he give them the ability to do greater things and have greater impact? Absolutely so. So third question is, why does it matter? Why does it matter? Verses 13 and 14. Jesus said, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Another verse taken out of its context is a dangerous verse. As if Jesus is a genie in a bottle that if you rub it well, he will do exactly what you say. He's never done exactly what we've wanted him to do, has he? He's always done what his father wanted him to do, and that's why he brings God glory. And Jesus said, if you live for the glory of my father, anything you desire to do in the name of my father, through the power that I've given you, for the kingdom of heaven you can do. So can you heal? Can you do amazing things? Can you preach the gospel? Can you alter the history of another person's life from the power of the gospel message? And what is the answer, church? Yes, you can. Why? Because Jesus lets you. Because he's the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. And outside of him there is no power and there is no truth and there is no hope. But with Jesus, all things are possible because he has the plan even today to bring his Father glory and to do the will of his Father. So that means you and I can preach the truth of salvation to people who don't know God. We can have the courage to proclaim love and grace even in the face of persecution. We can offer spiritual and physical healing through the power of Jesus. We can live our lives to make sure that God gets what God wants. May the kingdom be wherever God gets what God wants. You and I can share the love of God, expand the kingdom of God, build the church of God, and glorify the name of God. Why? Because Jesus Christ has given us the message, the power, and the authority to do so. So he said to those 11 men that night, and he says to every one of us in the echo of those 11 men, you and I can change the history of the world if you believe in me. And then verse 15, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. There's a progression here that's important. I know this is a little bit of a sour note, and I don't mean to be grumpy this morning because actually I'm excited about what can happen if we all realized who Jesus really was. But we live in an age where agreeing with what the Bible teaches is more associated with Christianity than living out what the Bible teaches. And that's in America church. Across the country or across the world you see the churches exploding not because they have neat buildings and fancy sets the church is growing around the world because they're living out the love and they're standing up for their faith and they're proclaiming the gospel and Jesus is rewriting people's histories in America you can be a Christian by simply believing church is a good thing that knowing what Jesus said is important but Jesus never asked us to know what he said Jesus asked us to live by faith that he was the son of God. Christianity has to be redefined if it wants to be real. And Jesus said, I'll show you how it's real. If you love me, you will obey what I command. Love produces obedience. You know, I used the coaching illustration, and I'm not, a, I'm not a good coach, but I love my son. And I know every now and then, and I've seen it happen, where Somebody will say something to Braden, and I know how he's taking it. Why? Because he's too much me. And he's got his dad's bad habit of not being, he doesn't like to be told what he has to do. And he gets that from his mother. No, I'm sorry, that would have been a lie. He gets that from his father. (laughs) Like I'd be dumb enough to tell Heather what to do. (laughs) That's a good one. Okay, anyway, back to point. But when someone gets on Braden and asks or tells him he has to do something, I, I can see that look in his face like they don't believe in me. And then I have to come back in and build him up. You know what Jesus knew about every one of us? What we need, and do you know what Jesus knew we needed? Him, not thoughts about him, not stories about him, not memory verses about him. Jesus said, I wanna give you me, and I'm going away, and I'm gonna give you this incredible gift. Our fourth question is this, what is promised? How does Jesus know what we need? Verses 16 through 21. And I will ask the father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my father and you are in me and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me and will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Do you see a Jesus who knows what you need? He says, I'm leaving, but I'm not gonna leave you abandoned or orphaned. I'm going to send the spirit of truth to you, and the spirit of truth is going to unite us together. And even though I'm physically not here, the spirit of truth is going to connect us. And by connecting us, it's going to show you the Father, and it's going to show that Jesus and God are not different, that they're the same, serving the same purposes, and we're going to invite you into our purposes, and I'm going to be there with you every moment, and you're going to understand the love of the Father, and that love is going to flow out of you, and it's going to change people's lives. He's got it all covered, doesn't he? In a world that says Jesus is a really good option, Jesus says, I'm the only option. I'm the only hope you can offer anybody that's going to last. That's a lot, and time doesn't allow me to walk through every piece of it. So let's summarize with these little bullet points what Jesus just offered us, and I hope it's good news. In verses 16 and 17, he said, I will be with you and I will come to you. He offers us presents. In verse 18, you will see me. He offers us awareness. If you're struggling right now with your faith, chances are it's been a long time since you've seen God. And it's not because God is absent. It's because we're not closing down the world long enough to pay attention. He says, my spirit will show you I'm here. Verse 19, because I live, you will also live. He offers us life. In verse 20, you will realize enlightenment. You will realize, I will open the eyes of your heart, Paul prays, that the Spirit of God will let us see the truth in the Scriptures. That if, and listen, and I'll tell you this, your eyes will never see the truth of the Scriptures if you're never in the Scriptures. You can't defer to your church to teach you everything God wants to teach you. You must spend time every day in the Word of God so the Holy Spirit can speak what Jesus has already spoken. Verse 21, you'll be loved by my Father, which is salvation by grace. And Jesus would pay the price that night to bring us that grace. He said, I'm going to send you the Spirit of truth, and it's going to bring you presence, awareness, life, enlightenment, and salvation. And that's good news, isn't it, church? That's just a gift. He says, the Spirit will come dwell in you, and by dwelling in you, you'll know my Father, and my Father will know you, and there will be love, and there will be grace. Verse 23, Jesus says... If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him and we will come to him and we will make our what? Our home with him. Look where Jesus ends exactly where he starts. Home. A place where you're comfortable. A place where you have your own room. Your own space. A place where you're a part of something bigger than yourself. Yeah, I had my own bedroom, but the family room was where the best parts of life happened. Jesus said, my Father's going to come to you, and he's going to make a home with us through the power of the Spirit. You see, I want you to understand that God does not exist in heaven. Heaven exists in God. Church, did you get that? God is not in a location up in heaven hiding on some big throne looking down periodically to see if he's getting enough money back. God does not exist in heaven. Heaven is wherever God is, and Jesus said, I'm going to send my spirit. I'm going to go to be with my Father so my spirit can come, and my spirit is going to make a home with you. Heaven here on earth. Sounds like his prayer, right? May your will be done here on earth as it is where? In heaven. Where's heaven, church? Wherever God is. Where's home? I remember the first time I came home from college, and I told my mom and dad I was going back home, and I, my mom looked at me, and said you are never made that mistake again (laughs) then I realized up at college they charged me everything at home it was all free (laughs) I know where home is and it's no different every one of us is looking for the truth
1: but unfortunately the world we live
0: in is telling us the truth is all over the place and I'm going to tell you it's not I'm going to tell you the truth is at the cross of Jesus Christ and at the empty tomb That's all the truth I need to have. That changed everything. You see, Jesus tells us he's the exclusive one. There's no other. He doesn't say it in a pompous way. He says it in a pleading way. Jesus claims an exclusive place in all of history. I ask you this question this morning. Does he hold that exclusive place with you? Because if he doesn't, I would love to have a conversation. I'd I'd invite you to go to the tables with the lights on them and talk to someone this morning about what it means to give Jesus an exclusive place that nothing else can ever hold. Not because we have to, because he's the only one who's earned it. But if he doesn't have an exclusive place with you, then today will you give him that space? Will you make your home with him? And if he is your Lord and King, it's not in believing, it is living out our faith. It is doing the greater things. It's presenting the gospel message. It's preaching the truth of Jesus Christ. I must disappear so that Jesus Christ is the only thing. I don't want my kids to lie at my funeral. I want them to stand next to the casket and know with certainty, my dad gave his life so that people might know Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. If I did that, that's a life worth living. How about you? It's about Jesus always will be let's stand and sing about him